Good morning, everyone. How are you? Um, so, here we are. Uh, second episode of Morning Coffee. Uh, considerably later than I would have liked. Um, I guess I should apologise uh, to everyone uh, that it's taken so long. Um, I really wanted this to be a regular feature. I really wanted to become a bit more comfortable with, you know, sharing bits of myself. And uh, as I mentioned in in the last the last episode, the first episode. Uh, but instead, after getting that first episode out, uh, things got in the way a little bit. Um, we did get some other episodes out, which is kind of good. As, as you may have noticed on the Big Punch website, we got uh, you know some lots of first episodes of uh, me and Nick rewatching Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, me and Rayman talking uh, whatever in Big Punch Classic. Uh, but yeah, you know, it hasn't really kind of condensed into a regular structure yet, a regular kind of um, oh, what you call it, uh, schedule. Yeah, schedules probably better. Uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, my excuses uh, are coming two parts, really. One is simply that uh, things have been manic. Uh, upon kind of saying uh, I want to do this and kind of getting into the swing of things, uh, just big punch, everything got really busy. I was um, I was hammering out uh, uh, some after, I think, scripts for the new book. Uh, had to get those off to the art team. Uh, what else was there? Uh, oh yeah, we we did two big conventions. We went to London MCM. We also went to the UK Games Expo. And uh, and uh, oh yeah, and also I mean simply because we're new to this podcasting malarkey, I had to sort out hosting and whatnot. But anyway, we got there in the end, and so that's fine. But yeah, very busy. Sorry, still collecting my thoughts. Um, it's been a bit. I've been. It's been a bit of a week. Uh, the second part of my excuses kind of relates to that, in that on top of everything getting busy and kind of disjointed, uh, a another problem was that uh, I've been ill again, and I didn't want this podcast to devolve into every episode being about my health, because... I imagine you have better things to do with your time. Uh, and also, while I admit this podcast is by its very nature self-indulgent, I'd rather it not become this great big misery memoir of me just moaning and moaning and moaning. So uh, what I had hoped to do today, or rather two weeks earlier, was talk about some of my experiences in comics and actually um, continue telling my kind of secret origins. Uh, we talked uh, in episode two of Big Punch Classic, uh, Rayman and I talked about the first comic we ever made, which was back in primary school, a comic called Big Punch. And that kind of took me through to maybe age 11 when I started secondary school. I was then going to talk about kind of like my teenage comic projects, one that, the ones that never uh, ones that never really condensed into anything before finally telling the story of After I Think. So that was going to be my rather kind of me, me, me moment before kind of the series condensed into something a bit more, I don't know, a bit more reliable, uh, a bit more interesting. However, uh, as I said, I fell ill. So at the risk of constantly talking about uh, my health, I thought I would just fill you all in on what's been going on since last we spoke. So when you listen to Morning Coffee, episode one, assuming you have, uh, I actually published that maybe a few weeks after having recorded it. I was maybe a little scared to go back over footage and edit it and get it in a presentable shape, which I'd be happy to show to the world. It was, it was a bit, it was a bit personal anyway. So when I finally did that, time has passed. So more time has passed than I, I possibly thought. So I've I finished um, my course of steroids about a month and a half ago. And since doing that, I kind of fell into this uh, limbo position where I would finish the steroids. And then two months later, at the end of June, which is still in the future, I would have another meeting with the consultant. 
so there was like this there was going to be this two two month gap where I would be kind of out of care and I'd made kind of like amazing progress on the steroids I felt a lot better as the steroids kind of started reducing towards the end I had some of the I guess some of like the the negative side effects of coming off of steroids so I felt very uh, very tired uh, very kind of just weak and and uh, and wobbly and over like a two week period upon coming off the steroids I started to notice uh, a return of um, of pain like this kind of like background pain which I've been dealing with uh, for a while so this is again uh, kind of like in my lower right abdomen and then there's also kind of like uh, that extends to a bit of leg pain and a bit of back pain as well it's like a like a like a rope running from the top of your thigh up through the center of your body and then kind of attaching to your spine so it just hurts everywhere along there and um it was kind of it was kind of scary like because uh, the pain the pain was not terrible the pain was kind of just a a background annoyance if you will like it was there but I don't want to be not to sound like a martyr but I, I kind of got used to it you know I've been living with this for a while I was used to just being uncomfortable on a daily basis uh so yeah the pain itself wasn't the scary part the scary part was the prospect of losing all that progress I'd made uh, uh, frankly it frankly it was it was terrifying I didn't want to it felt like after all these years of kind of suffering uh, I'd gone I'd actually made some progress and the prospect of losing that all and going going losing all that headway was 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 horrible it was really I didn't even want to contemplate it I'm just going to take a sip here I broke my cafetiere uh, since episode one which uh, has to be an omen so I'm borrowing uh, a slightly larger one which was in the house and uh, as as such I have vats I have buckets upon buckets of coffee this morning so uh, I need to get drinking um yeah, so I think like I was just really scared about the prospect of going downhill again, and also I hadn't been—I don't think I've been especially lucky with the care I'd received so far. Like it was incredibly hard to get any medical professional to really kind of notice or legitimise it. Like it had been from everything from people saying, "Oh, you know, you're—it's all in your head. You'll get better." Uh, to people giving me various pills and then the pills not working and then kind of forgetting about me really. And every time I went back to the doctor, I had to start the whole sorry cycle again. So it has taken, well, it's it's taken, it took like at least a year, if not two years of deciding to take action to actually getting some resolution. Um, So yeah, like I finished the steroids and um, my symptoms started to return slowly, kind of one by one. And I don't know how much this was chemical and how much of this was psychological. You know, I I was painfully aware that I might be imagining a lot of this, which doesn't help, doesn't help your state of mind. But um, yeah, I, uh, again, on a daily basis, I I found, you know, not to get too personal, not not too graphic, but I found going to the toilet became increasingly difficult again. Uh, I was frequently accompanied by this background pain, like kind of, pings and needles going through my, my kind of my guts and um, just generally being uncomfortable. It's, it's a very bizarre thing to describe, but you just always feel kind of twitchy and you can't, if you're sitting in a chair, you just can't get comfy in any position because everything kind of hurts on like a low, a low level. So yeah, frankly, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And um, at the, I did have a very, very, very good, um, occupational health ther- uh, therapist uh, this must be your speech impediment occupational health therapist at work who uh, was wonderful and uh, she was frequently checking in on me and recommending that I you know work a few days from home each week um, you know making sure I was eating enough she she reckoned I was not eating enough uh, which is something which um, uh, my consultant had kind of echoed she said I could probably stand to put on about half the half the stone 
I think uh, I just become a little scared of food, like uh, the idea of what it might do to me when it was inside me. So um, yeah, maybe I had been eating smaller portions. Hey, I what can I say? I, I like looking svelte. Um, but yeah, so she she just said like keep eating, you know, indulge yourself. You know, uh, I was getting very tired. I was getting, I felt weak. You know, saying it out loud, you start to realise why maybe I haven't got this this episode of a podcast out. Maybe being feeling a bit vulnerable. Um, but yeah, so at her insistence, I called my consultant again and I said, "Look, um, I'm very. Can I see you sooner? Because actually, no. This is this is coming back now. It had been. She had told me that when I finished the steroids." I should get an appointment with the IBD clinic at the local hospital, so the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Clinic, and uh, and they would kind of um, pick and, and you know they would take care of you in the meantime. But that was not coming soon enough. So at the insistence of the nurse at work, I I called him up and I said, "Look, I'm coming off of steroids. At the very least, I understand that coming off of steroids can be tricky. You know, you can get." Uh, some quite negative side effects. Everyone seems to say, everyone seems to reckon I should be getting seen to. Never sip. Anyway, so I got an appointment for the closest I could get was two weeks after um, I finished my steroids. So I was starting to feel a bit worse for wear. I was getting, you know, a little ragged around the edges and a bit of, in a bit of pain constantly. And I went to meet the team at the IBD clinic, and uh, it was my understanding that when you are diagnosed with IBD, you end up developing quite a good relationship with your uh, your local, I guess, kind of clinic. You know, these are the people who will be managing your care, arguably for the rest of your life. And um, I know Nick has gone through something very similar with his condition. Uh, so I was really expecting, I'm quite happy actually, to have this meeting because I thought it would kind of open the doors to generally being healthier in the future and, you know, getting the medication to I needed to to, to keep me well. And uh, sadly, when I had that meeting, uh, they didn't have any of my records. I Don't ask me how. Um, I think in transferring between the hospitals, they had, they had lost all my data. All they had was the results of my first colonoscopy, uh, which uh, was from eight months ago, something like that, and ten months, I don't know. No, I don't know, eight. And, then, and it said, like, and that hadn't found anything. And she had the results of the biopsy from my second colonoscopy back in February when I was really ill. And apparently the biopsy hadn't found any, I guess you'd call them, like, chemical markers of Crohn's. Which was which was a real kind of, which was a real kind of kick, especially since, you know, I, I suddenly started telling everyone that I had I had flipping Crohn's, but, uh, and honestly, that was that was a massive. I don't know. It felt like on the one hand, it felt like a big. I mean, you've got the immediate problem of, from this lady's perspective in the clinic, this nurse, and to her credit, she was she was very kind, but because she didn't have my full records and because. She didn't have evidence of all the tests I'd had. All she could say was, look, look, I have no proof that there's anything wrong with you. So we can't help you. Which was... Yeah, just... It was just awful, really. It was like, what is the point? What is the absolute point? And she gave me like a, a helpline and said, look, in the meantime, we'll chase this up with your doctor and hopefully get your full records. But in the meantime, if you... Um, you know, if you if you if you fall ill again, here's like an emergency helpline you can call. Only between nine to five, mind you. So heaven forbid you have an emergency in an evening. And I remember saying to her, "Well, look, I'm. What do you mean by my symptoms getting worse? Do I have to wait for another attack? You know, like the these terrible attacks I was having every six weeks or so. Do I have to wait for one of those to come and just cripple me before you'll see me? And is that or or do you mean?" background pain and illness because I have that right now 
and she didn't have an answer so I just went on my way I wasn't very happy but but yeah and also so so then I started chasing up with a consultant I started chasing up saying like where's you know what's up with um you know all my tests and records and stuff because I I'm hearing for the first time that the biopsy of my intestines had apparently found no evidence of Crohn's and yet the, my consultant when she had performed the the procedure she herself had seen evidence of it so we had kind of like visual confirmation if you will but no kind of chemical confirmation so yeah, I don't know but I uh, spoke to the consultant or I spoke to her secretary at least and they said look you know it's still an ongoing investigation you have the contact details of the IBD clinic if you fall ill now so that's good we're going to see you at the end of June anyway we'll probably schedule further tests and we'll keep trying to work you know keep trying to get you better so I was booked in for an MRI and I was booked in for uh, some more blood tests and um, this was uh, I don't know it's good it was it was kind of good that like there were more tests coming and and that it was all kind of inconclusive or rather it was still kind of like you know they were still they were still searching trying to work out what was wrong with me and but it doesn't change the fact that at this period I'm still kind of without a, a support network. There's no kind of safety net if I fall ill again. Because the worst thing about all this is, is you end up doubting yourself. And I think, I don't know if this is it's probably the same for everyone, but I, I've kind of realised that my brain is incredibly good at kind of blanking out unpleasant memories uh, or, or kind of unpleasant experiences to the point where I can I can sit here and say to you that back in February I was in the worst pain of my life and I it was indescribable it was it was nightmarish and that for the last few years of my life that happened on a semi-regular basis and that all the time I feel I feel pretty just rotten, like inside, to the point where I have I don't actually know what feeling kind of normal is like. I assume that everyone bumbles around and my kind of what feels like sixty or fifty percent on a good day, and I just I, I I can't remember or imagine what it's like to be normal. But at the same time, I. I've kind of disconnected from the emotional connection to that. So when all you have is like your memory and all you have is kind of like a, a dry, I don't know, call it, oh, which is what I did. All you have is like a dry timeline in the form of a Word document where you're trying to sit down and document everything that's happened to you over the past two, three years. And when you look back at your life and you think all the, all the kind of problems you've had, the longer you think about it. And and it, it, just, it just reads like a kind of, it reads like it happened to someone else. Like, and when you don't have, when it's not in the moment, and when you're not kind of like in, in blinding pain, it's easy to start thinking: Did I imagine it? Was it not? You know, a day passes, and suddenly, you know, that pain isn't quite as real as it was. So, yeah. So that's that was kind of like the the emotional mess I was going going through because like I was doubting myself. I was still in discomfort and pain, and. Um, yeah, and at the same time, we're still trying to churn out all our stuff as, as Big Punch Studios and, and we've got a day job as well. Uh, but yeah, so I started getting progressively worse. and um, But at the same time, not ill enough. I, I was ill, but I wasn't sick enough to warrant the help of, I don't know, this clinic who was supposedly there to, there to help me. It was like a kind of poor analogy, but like a kind of Catch-22 thing, like... I wasn't ill enough to be helped, but I could, yeah. And then I, oh, I don't know, that's a terrible example. Anyway, they wouldn't help me until I fell really ill. Whereas what I wanted was to be helped so that I wouldn't fall really ill. But I had my blood tests, and um, I have excellent veins. Little side side note here, sidebar. Uh, I used to donate platelets back in the day before I kind of fell ill like this, and. Um, I just have the most amazing, like in another life, I would have made made an amazing kind of like drug addict because I just have like the biggest, healthiest veins on my arms. 
And, you know, part of donating platelets is, is being, sit, you know, sat strapped to a dialysis machine for like 90 minutes. So I've never had any trouble giving blood, but for the first time ever, when I had this blood test, um, I don't know what happened. I think there must have been some internal bleeding, but pretty much like most of my arm went black. It was a horrible. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> I need to clear my throat. Victory sip. That was good. But um, yeah, uh, I had the standard blood test at my local GP. It was fine. It didn't even hurt. But then as I was walking home, my armpit started to hurt. In fact, this is really bizarre. Like my my bicep, such as it is, it's not especially impressive. Um, it, uh, it cramped, like it, it went utterly rigid, which is really weird. It wasn't necessarily painful. It, was, it wasn't necessarily painful. It's just kind of like really hard. And, uh, and then by the time I took my shirt off, my whole arm had just gone black. And again, it wasn't painful. It was just kind of unsightly. Uh, and that was just before we went to MCM London. So, and I was wearing a t-shirt. So I don't know what people thought. It looked like I'd been in a fight or something. But yeah, it's just about faded now. Back to normal. Um, and I had, I had my, going back to the main story, I had, uh, my MRI test at, uh, super early o'clock on, uh, a weekday. And I went along to the local hospital, you know. They do the thing, uh, you, you go into the little waiting room, get into your very flattering uh, robes, you sit down, I was reading a book, and they make you drink uh, like two litres of this weird aniseed-flavoured water, which is a, uh, I believe it's just something to, uh, something for the MRI to work against, I don't know, so they can see inside. And, uh, and a weird lemon-flavoured shot of something. For all I know, it could have been preparing me for a night out, but there you go. And I got chatting to a, um, a lady who was also waiting in uh, in the room for the exact same thing. And uh, and she was about my age, actually, maybe, maybe you know, kind of early 30s. And um, she had Crohn's, uh, which was... Uh, Actually, just 10 minutes talking with her was incredibly enlightening because uh, I don't think I'd ever actually spoken to someone who had it. And uh, it was kind of crazy because, as, as I mentioned earlier, like my my diagnosis, we're like, I don't know, 90% certain. We've not had that final kind of gold seal of approval. But it was so bizarre because we were comparing symptoms and they... They were identical. And again, I wasn't, you know, it's not like I was doing this to kind of validate my my condition or even try or even find like any proof within myself that, you know, I wasn't trying to like, you know, force this kind of conviction. Like, yes, it is Crohn's. This proves it. It was just kind of like we were just chatting. And I didn't even say I had Crohn's. I just said, like, you know, look, I'm under investigation for some stuff. And, and we started comparing notes. But it was uncanny because she had this exact same pain in her lower right abdomen and then I was like yeah and and, and it uh, it goes down your leg and into your back right and she was like yeah me too me too and uh, you know everything from kind of just the, the general pain and discomfort the difficulty going to the toilet um, she she said she got like and another thing I, I haven't done much online reading of it but still even now but it's quite possible because it's like an autoimmune disorder to have like rashes and stuff and she was saying like you know she gets a sore patch on her face and I was saying well I get a, a sore patch on my on my right arm and it just seems to never go away and you know and she was talking about just feeling so kind of tired like to a point where it's affecting her work and just being so kind of like lethargic the whole time and and yeah it was a real kind of I was like wow this this is exactly exactly what I'm kind of what I'm suffering with it was really that was a really profound experience actually and um uh and yeah and, and I could kind of echo all of her symptoms and like and of course weird and you know it affects her walk she has that kind of limp I have a slight limp which I've been kind of nursing for four months or so now just because of the the tense 
a tension in my leg and um, my abdomen and you know she hasn't gone horse riding in ages I haven't done my Aikido in ages um, yeah it just really just takes a, a kick at your kind of self-worth you know she she has trouble driving uh, she has uh, she's still desperately trying to get her kind of condition in check you know with medication and um, yeah and uh, I can I can certainly use it is going to affect my work as well I mean I don't think I could have asked for a more understanding uh, employer but uh, but anyway yeah so I had a had the old MRI you know you're climbing to a great big metal tube and I've uh, got my head sticking out one end everything from a kind of rib cage down is encased and they're scanning and and kind of off I go and so yeah that was a few weeks ago and all I had left was to wait for the end of June when I would see the consultant again and presumably get the results of the MRI and the blood test. I understood that maybe further tests would be further tests would be kind of assigned. I guess it's probably also worth in the defense of the kind of clinic and the, the healthcare professionals, I guess. They were saying that the medication for IBD is a little bit vicious, you know, so they wouldn't, they don't want to give it to anyone that they don't have an utterly concrete idea what's wrong with them yet. Uh, so yeah, um, but anyway, massive preamble because that takes us nearly up to the present day and you can kind of see like the situation I've been in. And uh, I was doing better, incredibly. I went through that period of being, of not feeling great. And I was taking, uh, but I was doing all right because I was, I was starting to improve because we, we went to MCM, which was a, a big show, arguably the biggest convention in the country. And normally going to these events is a, is a massive source of stress for me. You know, I'm never entirely sure how my guts are going to behave. You know, am I going to be in pain? Am I going to be able to slip away to go to the toilet if I need to? It's embarrassing. And, but incredibly, I somehow made it through the weekend. And I had a really good time. And we had a really good show as Big Punch. And admittedly, I was popping a lot of Buscapan, which is like a kind of anti-cramping uh, pill you can just get over the counter and um but I felt okay but I kind of made like a, a determined decision to not let it bother me and and it was fine everything worked out like I don't know I, I just felt good and it felt like a real triumph and yeah I was tired I'm always tired <laughs> but you know understandably tired after like an event after an event like that but I was doing okay and um and then we went to the UK Games Expo the following weekend. And that was okay as well. And that involved a lot of early mornings and everything. But I was doing okay. And I felt good. And and then, yeah, life started to return to normal. We went back to work, kind of did, you know, just got on with life again. And uh, I was doing okay. Um, still, in, um, still in a degree of, like, background pain. Which, again... Oh god, my memory, my memory is so hazy. Yeah, and then in the last couple of weeks, the memory's got uh, the pain's got coming back again, popping a lot of buscapan just to try and cope. And uh, I started to get a bit of pain, like I started to get this proper pain, and I had a couple of flashes of this real, you know, this kind of old friend of like this this kind of deep, deep abdomen pain. It kind of returned, but but it, it faded. But anyway massive ramble you you think I'd be better at structuring a story now after all this but last Tuesday I had an attack uh, which you know the entire half hour of me rambling has pretty much been leading up to that but yeah um, everything I'd been kind of dreading happened I was off the drugs I had no safety net and I fell ill and I felt super ill. It was arguably one of the worst ones I've ever had. Uh, it was Tuesday night. 
uh, me and Lucy were home alone. And we just eaten tea. We just had a pasta bake. So you might think, oh, was it what you were eating? Was it the food that did it? But no, I've been keeping a food diary for like the last two months now. And, you know, I've not found any correlation with something that makes me feel bad. But yeah, we had tea. We had a pasta bake. All in all, I was feeling actually pretty good. I was feeling quite chilled and relaxed and I wasn't in too much pain. I was feeling good. And uh, I started to get this pain. This re like, and, and this is like pain with a capital P. It's always in the lower right abdomen and it goes right f- through you. Like it's, it's deep. And oh man, like it, 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 it just hit. It was, uh, so I'm like, oh God, I know what's happening. I've been, I've been through this before. So I try to head it off. Like I, I, I lie down on uh, the sofa. I'm all stretched out. Nothing's under tension. Uh, Lucy gets me a hot water bottle. We put it on my stomach. Heat can help. Uh, I take um, painkillers. I take uh, buscapan. And I probably lie there for about 20 minutes or so, half an hour, trying to just see if it will fade. It isn't fading. Uh, it's, it's kind of bad at this point, but it's not crippling. You know, I'm like, I can still walk at least. And we're like, and I'm like, I'm not. So, oh yeah, so we go, let's call... Let's call NHS 111. So I call them up, describe all the symptoms. I try to give them the Reader's Digest version of everything I've, I've, that's been happening to me. And they're like, okay, well, look, we've booked you an appointment in 20 minutes at the GP at the hospital. You need to get there now. So we go to the hospital again. And Lucy isn't, isn't best pleased because I kind of promised I wouldn't be dragging her to a hospital again. And yet I keep doing it because because she's a very special person and you should take her nice places like the hospital. Um, but we're going to the hospital and at this point I'm having a bit of trouble walking uh, and we just have to sit and wait until the appointment, which is running a bit late. And I'm just sitting there we're sitting next to each other and I'm just grabbing and just squeezing Lucy's hand like no one's business because the pain is so intense and she keeps telling me to breathe because I'm probably forgetting to breathe because the pain is quite pronounced at this point and you know the, my, the edges of my vision are starting to darken so I'm either about to faint or you know I don't know just it's either pain or lack of oxygen anyway, like, uh, but doctor sees me. And at this point I can barely walk. I am, I go into the room to see him and I am just curled up in a fetal position on the chair next to him. I can barely speak. And he's like, you're in a bit of pain, aren't you? He's like, yeah, I, re- I really kind of am. And he's like, well, we can get you some codeine right now. And I'm like, yes, whatever, please, anything. I'm not even bargaining. Just put the drugs in my mouth and I will, I will swallow them somehow. And uh, he's like, well, we can't... Okay, so this is bad. I've got some of your medical records here. Why Why are my medical records always incomplete? I have no idea. He said, we have some of your medical records here. Yeah, clearly, this is this is kind of bad. Um, and at this point, I, I, I'm also like, I need to lie down. Like, can you just get me on a bed or something? So they put me on a bed in the spare room. I get my drugs. They don't help. I can't really walk. And they're like, okay, well, look, you need to see a doc- like another doctor, but we have no one at the hospital right here who can help you. Uh, we have like Cheltenham and Gloucester are only like eight miles apart. While once they were two separate hospitals, they are now one hospital just spread over two towns or cities. So he's saying, look, you need to go to Cheltenham. Here is a piece of paper which you will need to give to them when you arrive and they will, you'll get seen by the people who need to see you. Uh, and, and yeah, like you can either, we can get you an ambulance, but that'll take two hours or you can drive. And despite 
really being tempted by the ambulance. The idea of lying there for two hours was not appealing. So we decided to uh, just drive. And Lucy went to get the car around and they said they would get a wheelchair for me to uh, push me to the entrance. However, that wheelchair didn't materialise and despite not really being able to walk, I was just like, bugger this. I need to get out of here. I need to get better. And I just kind of limped out, out of the building. We drove to Gloucester. A uh, bit of pain. We drove to Gloucester. And we got to hospital. Lucy dropped me off as she went to park the car. I was feeling a little better in so much as I could walk. I was feeling a lot of pain. Handed me my form. I have to wait in A&E for five minutes. They usher me into the next area. I don't understand how hospitals work. And then I see a doctor who looks at me. I'm in a wheelchair at this point, which is wonderful, I should add, because walking is not my friend. He gives me a little um, urine sample vial and just says, can you fill this up? I'm like, what? right now because um, I will if you want but you know there's no bucket or anything in case I miss and he said no just wait when you get the chance and then we I get wheeled into a corridor and we just end up kind of waiting there with everyone else who's waiting to be seen you know there's a lot of people in, in beds you know kind of because all beds are mobile so it, it's just a waiting area and, and we're just waiting to be seen and, and bless them you know all the nurses and doctors are rushed off their feet. And we I, I lose track of time around this point because I'm just hunched over in this wheelchair and in a lot of pain. And God, pain is like the key word of the day, isn't it? Yeah. We'll just take that as a granted at this point. Like I'm in pain and I'll stop saying pain. So I'm just hunched over in this wheelchair. And I think we're waiting for about two hours or something like that. Heaven, I have no idea what time it was at that point. And they eventually, you know, and you've got like, um, you know, it's like a triage, you know, kind of like the walking wounded is they're making sure everyone's healthy enough to sit and wait until they're seen. And, you know, you've got people in wheelchairs, people in bags, uh, a lady next to me who looks very kind of nauseous and sick. And a nurse comes to see me. Oh, no, not a nurse, a doctor comes to see me. And uh, I'm transferred to a bed wheeled into one room and then wheeled out of that room because they need it for someone else who is bleeding and more obviously ill and then some wheeled into a different room and the doctor's like well have you been okay we'll get your blood tests we'll get your blood tested have they taken your blood yet i said no oh she's like damn it okay um so she you know progs my stomach looks at all the things and she's like well you know, you're in a bad way, you need to stay in overnight and we'll get we'll try and get you stabilized or something. So they give me drinkable drinkable morphine, which I've never had before. That was a new one. So they give you they just gave me this syringe with no needle. And I'm and she's like, take this. And I'm like, well, where do I stick it? And she she said, Well just you know, you drink it as if it was the most obvious thing in the world. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not used to drinking strange liquids out of a syringe, part of me. So I drink it. And, uh, you know, it tastes aniseedy. Everything tastes like Sambuca. And they put a drip in me to keep me hydrated. So for the first time ever, I now, like a little badge of honour, I now have one of those kind of standing trolley things, uh, like a like a clothes rack thing on a pole. Anyway, I'm not, I can't remember the word for it. Hat stand, that's it. And, uh, yeah, they... They check me in, if, that, if that's the correct phrase. They wheel me off to um, X-ray. I have a... They give me a chest X-ray. Don't... She said, apparently, we know the problem. She said, we know the problem's in your abdomen, but chest X-ray is important. It probably is. They're probably making sure I don't have, like, a... I don't know if there's nothing wrong with my lungs or heart or anything. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a medical professional, but I was having a bit of trouble breathing because of the pain. And then, yeah, and then I think about two in the morning, I say my goodbyes to Lucy, because she needs to go home, she needs to get some sleep. And I am, I'm, and you know, I'm in the safest place now, 
and I am checked into surgery, really. Like, not, not, not actually, like, get him in, get him into the operating theatre. So I'm just opening, opening my second cup of coffee. Some sound effects for you there. Pouring. So yeah, so I'm checked into the day surgery ward. It's two in the morning, so everyone's kind of asleep. It's a weird area. It's a weird kind of building. It's all kind of like branching corridors. And higgledy-piggledy, like a labyrinth. And um, I'm wheeled into this area with four bags in a row, all separated by curtains. Everyone's asleep, blinking lights some a lot. And I lie down. I meet the kind of night team in, you know, kind of hushed tones, minimal lighting. And they give me, uh, I've had codeine at this point. I've had the morphine. I think they even give me a bit more morphine. I can't remember. And I'm like, I'm just like, okay, well, look, I, thank you. I guess I'm here for, I'm here to stay. So I'm just there in my, in the clothes I was wearing when I fell ill got a drip in my arm on the bed and I just kind of fall asleep. I think the morphine probably helped. Uh, I'm woken by the pain. I, w- I wake up because of the pain and this is a this is a common thing when I fall ill. It often hits at night. But I was clearly able to drift off for like an hour half an hour, I don't know how long it was, and I wake up and I'm just, it's just gone to another level, like I I feel, I feel like I'm going to be sick, and, and I think, I think that that sickness was just the pain, like I don't think there was anything in my stomach which could have, which I could have, you know, thrown up, I, I just, I, it was, wow, yeah, man, it was just another level. Like a, a week, nearly a week since it happened, and I, uh, I can't quite quantify it. Like uh, it was just, it was terrible, terrible. But I get up, and I, I, I think I'm going to be sick. So I wheel my drip and myself just to the toilet, which is only 30, 30 feet away. And I go to the toilet, and I, I try to throw up, and I can't. Because there's nothing in my stomach. Like, I just, the, I don't know if the nausea is because of the drugs or the pain or whatever. And <laughs> I, I try to go back to bed. Or I, 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 the pain is something else. I, I feel sick and I can't stand. And I kind of collapse in the corridor just outside the toilet. I can't walk. I'm on my knees. I'm kind of resting my head on the floor. I want to be. I feel like I'm going to be sick, or I'm going to pass out. And I'm just kind of. I can laugh now, but I'm just kind of moaning. Like I, I'm past words. Even I'm just kind of making groans, and um, I'm kind of. I think I'm saying help. I think I, I try saying help. Like I just. I couldn't. You know what? What can you do? Like it was, it, not to be too dramatic. It was utterly like my lowest point. Like I can't stand, and I feel like I'm dying, and all I can do is kind of cry out. I'm just saying, like, help, please, nurse, anyone, help. And one of the nurses, he 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 comes and finds me, and um, he gives me like a bucket in case I'm going to be sick. And he helps me back to bed and uh, he gives me uh, into my arm because I've got the kind of stint in my arm. He gives me something for the nausea. Still don't know what it was, but definitely helped. He gives me tramadol, which is an excellent painkiller because the morphine was not helping with the pain. But he gave me tramadol. And you don't take tramadol orally, and it ain't an injection either. But I've got to say, once it was inside me, the effects were almost instantaneous. I was, I was wow, this is first time in, wow, you know, 
First time since the attack hit, suddenly the pain is lessened and he gives me oxygen. And uh, so I've got my mask on my face. I have drugs inside a part of me. And for the first time since it began, the pain actually goes away. And through tiredness, like just sheer relief, I fall asleep. And oxygen probably helps as well. And that's that. And I I wake up on Wednesday. And yeah, the, the attack has passed. And as is often the case, I feel like I've been beaten with a stick. I am sore from head to my toe. I can be punched in the gut. But that is nothing compared to the pain I was experiencing. So even that weird aftermath of soreness is welcome. I... I, I can't tell you the relief. I I feel so much better. Sore. <laughs> like, utterly broken, but so much better. And, yeah, and I spend a day... I spend a day in hospital just getting painkillers and antibiotics. They start me on antibiotics. And I see uh, the kind of um, visiting surgeon who goes around the wards with, with his team... And they, they prod me and they can tell I'm, you know, my entire body, my abdomen is, is very painful to touch. And they're like, well, look, we've got your case histories now. We've spoken to your consultant who is in the hospital, which is great because finally all the kind of pieces are coming together. The right people are talking to the right people. And they're like, well, look, we'll keep you in the hospital. We're going to start you on pain, on um, antibiotics because... We think uh, it's, you might have an abscess. Apparently, it's something that you know. It's a possible effect of having IBD. You know, something in your in your gut may have I think, got infected or something. So we're going to get you on the antibiotics, and um, yeah, and hopefully someone from the gastro team will come and see you today. And we might end up doing a keyhole endoscopy, as in we'll cut a very small hole in you. And we'll stick a camera in that way and have a look. And um, and yeah, so I spent a whole day in hospital uh, doing nothing, actually, because no one from the gastro team was available to see me. So I had visits from Lucy and my mum, which was very nice. I had my phone, uh, so I was able to surf the web. (laughs) And Lucy brought me a kind of survival bag of... um, of... um, you know, books and clothes and um, and a phone charger and her Kindle, which was very kind because I finally got to start reading uh, The King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, which is amazing, I should say. The man is a talent. And, uh, yeah, and I just passed the day away. Uh, with my got to know my three... Fellow compatriots, we had a guy next to me about my age who very similar symptoms. However, he had appendicitis. They thought I might have appendicitis, but they couldn't. I wasn't feverish, so they couldn't find any evidence of that. And um, he had his appendix out. Guy, other guy had fallen off a fallen off a roof and roof uh, fallen off a roof and shattered his elbow. And another guy cut his finger off while sawing some wood. So yeah, we were in good company. And I was the only one who didn't have surgery in all my time there. Because on Thursday, yeah, Thursday morning, they I saw the doctors again. And they were like, look, no one from gastro is available to see you. They're all very busy. However, we have spoken to your consultant, the person handling your care. She's requested a few more tests. We've taken a few samples. Uh, and we you're going to see her in, in under two weeks now anyway. You might end up having a keyhole. You might end up having a keyhole endoscopy. So we might we'll probably stick another camera in you to try and work out what's wrong. Uh, but you might as well go home now because nothing's going to happen today. You'll pass the worst of it. Here's a box of antibiotics, and off you go. And uh, yeah, so that's it pretty much. And uh, I am now in the aftermath of that and I ended up missing three days of work Uh, then the weekend came and then there's today 
and it's early on a Monday morning. I'm down in the kitchen. Over weekend, we finally cleared the remainder of our uh, big punch convention stock out of the kitchen, which was just crowding half the room. So that's gone to our storage facility. So the good news is we've reclaimed the gaming slash dinner table. Nick, Ali, and Lucy did all the heavy lifting, which was nice because I'm not cut out for heavy lifting at the moment. So, so yeah, I've got got the podcasting table back. So I'm just I'm just sitting here with my coffee and my my, sound, my mixing board and my microphone, and and I'm staring out at a very rainy back garden and a wall of greenery. Um. So yeah. That brings us up to the present day, and I am going to try and work from home today. I don't know whether this is overly ambitious. I doubt everything about myself at the moment. I want desperately want someone to make the decision for me, but that is and always has been a problem of mine because I'm a bit of a coward like that. And with no one around to force me to do what's good for myself, I'm at least having a compromise by saying I'll work from home. Uh, I don't know whether I should be resting more, but I'm don't I you know I like my job, and they've been so good, and I don't want to kind of take advantage of them. So yeah, I'm going to try and work from home, and uh, yeah, I better go get on with that. So that is an episode of Morning Coffee. It was not the episode I wanted to record. I was hoping we'd talk about happier things. However, that is my life. And I guess an element of this podcast will always be a kind of audio diary. So yeah, at least with the kitchen now in order, our podcasting space I can get in clear, you know. Now, now it's not, now it's not full of boxes of books. We can we can get into something close to uh, a regular podcasting schedule. So hey, next episode we'll talk about something happier. Uh, in other news, um, we've had a good old time in Big Punch. We have uh, issue six of BPM is with the printer and should be back. This week, all our subscribers and patrons have received uh, a digital copy. Incredibly proud of, of this issue. It is a real... It's re- yeah, I, I think, you know, we've been finding our feet with BPM and it's just been getting... Of course I'm biased, but I think we're getting better and better at the format and the storytelling. And I'm just so proud of this. And we had a lot of new subscribers. So I hope... You know, if you are listening to this, I hope you all enjoy. I hope you all enjoy uh, the issue when it comes out. I'm proud of it, and I can't wait to show it to you all. Um, yeah, in entertainment, I've been reading the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, and I know me and Lucy would like to talk about that at some point in a first share fantasy because it is astounding. Uh, Nick and I have both been playing Overwatch, uh, and I'm not very good at Overwatch, but I keep I keep keep on plugging. Uh, I'm kind of alternating between Widowmaker, Bastion, Sumetra, and Reinhardt. I I think they're the four which are kind of speaking to me. I hate, hate, is it Genji and Hangzhou? They are to to play against. I'm not played as either of them, but they are they are the most annoying characters to fight in the world. Um. I like I like Overwatch. It's very colourful. Uh, I said to one of my only gripes with it is that for a setting about superheroes, everyone uses guns. That's my only only complaint, and it is a minor one. I just feel there are so many first-person shooters out there. It would have been nice to have something a little bit different, and it still could have been a first-person shooter. But I just feel. Why not have them blasting energy out of their hands or something like that? I just, I don't know. It's a small, it's a, it's a very minor quarrel because 
you could just say the rules of this universe are that every hero as such is very technologically augmented like people everyone has guns and a lot of their powers come from technology so that's fine um Oh yeah, and uh, before I forget, we have really revamped the Big Punch website. So that's www.bigpunchstudios.com. So if you want to check it out and see all our hard work, it's still a work in progress. We're always going to be improving stuff, and I doubt we'll ever be finished with it. But in version 3.1.4, whatever model model we've currently done, uh, it's looking pretty good. Uh, oh, and I guess finally I should say... Uh, thank you to the 800-odd people who listened to episode one of Morning Coffee. I mean, uh, it's absolutely astounding. Uh, I daft little projects of mine, and it's taken me this long to get a second episode out, but I'm kind of stunned that you all thought it worthy of listening to, a little bit humbled as well. So thank you to you all for listening to me waffle on about my <laughs> my many many issues and uh i i we will get onto some happier topics but i guess i should just say at the end we uh we have a patreon uh, a patreon which allows us to keep making all these comics all these funny books that seem to entertain you guys and keep making podcasts and if you enjoyed morning coffee and all our all of our other output and you wanted to support us in making them and making more of them please consider our Patreon because we, for just one dollar, not only will you help us make everything we do, but you'll get access to three da- uh, free downloads of all our podcasts, not to mention a very exclusive Punch Cask, which is a podcast only, only for our Patreons from the Big Punch team. So yeah, thanks guys. And now, just to end on a really random final note, and on something which doesn't revolve around health. I just wanted to share a thought, a memory about a very curious book I read as a kid. And I'm wondering if anyone out here, anyone out there remembers it. When I was in primary school, in the very low end of primary school, in reception year one, I guess I was five or six, seven at the oldest, we had a small reading library, uh, the kind of library which is designed to teach kids to read, uh, the kind of library where the books are colour-coordinated based on difficulty, and it was forbidden for you, like, you know, it went from red orange, green, brown, blue, like belts in karate. And you were forbidden to read a higher level book until you'd proven your proficiency at a lower level, which is always a bit counterintuitive anyway. But I enjoyed reading. I read anything I could grab from those two or three folding shelves, which were maybe a a meter high. And there were a whole series of books which featured uh, recurring characters. They were, you know, we're talking basic here. Maybe 20 pages at most. And I remember this one series about a bunch of kids, and adults I suppose, but they lived in a slightly rural village. And I couldn't tell if it was... Looking back, I can't tell if it was oldie England or ye oldie America. I guess it didn't matter. It had a kind of pioneer, Puritan kind of feel to it. It was rural, you know, kind of scone buildings, thatch roofs. And they would just have genteel adventures. And there would be characters like Billy the Blue or Rosie the Red or something like that. And everyone was kind of defined by the colours that they wore on their shirt. And they were all kind of like calm and little adventures and nothing bad or overly challenging ever happened. But I remember this one story, which was kind of weird, which was there was a boy, and I can't remember his name, but let's call him Timmy. 
and I think he had a green shirt. And he lived with his grandma. And there was a girl who lived alone. She was a young girl. That's all I know. Her parents were out of the picture. She was about Timmy's age, and she lived alone in a house, and she tended to herself, got the food in, did everything. And she played an instrument. Maybe it was a flute, maybe it was a violin. And one day, Timmy was out walking, and he sees the girl, and she is dragging a large green stone behind her. This thing is egg-shaped. It's kind of smooth like a like a marble or maybe like one of those kind of highly polished ornamental things you'll get from like a, a precious stone shop and I don't know it, it's it's big and she's dragging it behind her it's maybe like two foot across four foot deep and he says where are you going with that and she says something like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna take it home and I'm gonna play to it and I'm gonna and she says something. She says, and when I played to it, like, something will come and dance. And she says, like, it has a name. And all I can remember is, I can't remember its name, but I can remember it was green. And it was meant to have long legs. And Timmy's like, oh, that's weird. And he goes back and he tells his mom. Uh, no, he tells his grandma, who he lives with, sorry. And she's like, oh, good God, what are you doing? We mustn't, you know, we must stop her. This is terrible. And I seem to remember they go to her house and it's nighttime and they're looking through the window and the stone is sitting in the middle of the room and the girl is playing her instrument. Maybe it's a flute, maybe it's a violin. And she's sitting next to the stone playing and something is a appearing, standing on the stone, but it's kind of growing upwards from its kind of feet upwards. So a pair of green feet appear on the stone. And as she keeps playing, the legs start extending upwards from the feet. And their long green legs getting taller. And this thing starts to appear. And it's drawn in this kind of childlike, watercolory style what, that defined the books. But it's it's creepy and it's tall and it's long and you don't see its face. That's the thing. Like it gets taller and taller and taller. And you know if and you see its arms and it has long arms and you see that like if the song is finished, then the the head will appear. But Timmy and his grandma burst in and they stop her playing, and before she can complete the song the head, you don't see the head, and then the monster's gone. And then, and then they say, well, hey, don't do that. <laughs> don't summon monsters. Come, come live with us. We'll look after you, and you can play your, your instrument, and Timmy will dance for you. And they do. And that's how it ends. So my question to anyone at home is, Am I insane? Did this book exist? Or did I dream it? Because I can picture it vivid as day in my mind's eye. But I have no idea what it was called, what the series was, or if it were real, what the hell anyone was thinking when they published this and released it to children of the age of four or five. It was terrifying. And it stuck with me because it did scare the hell out of me. And I think it's why to this day, I find things with long arms and legs. Very creepy. Very creepy. So yeah, something for you guys. See you next episode. This podcast, and others like it, is made possible thanks to our wonderful backers on Patreon. To support Big Punch Studios as we make comics, like Afterlife Thinking Semistring, games like Sandwich Masters, and podcasts like the one you've just been listening to, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. 
For just $5 a month, not only will you help make everything we do a reality, but we'll also send you four copies of Big Punch magazine a year. That's over 180 full-color pages of comic action, featuring Cuckoo's, Orb, 99 Swords, and Catamaran, delivered straight to your door. This has been a Big Punch Studios production. For all things Big Punch, be sure to head on over to www.bigpunchstudios.com.